0: But I think we've said it many times, and many guest speakers have said it to us, what we have here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church is special. It's a rare thing in the world, and, and God deserves all the glory, right? That God uses his servants, and he wants us to honor his servants. For those that uh, don't, don't know us, um, my name is Mike Newberger, and I'm a member here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, and this church has sent me and my family down to Greenpoint, Brooklyn, to start the North Brooklyn Baptist Church, we've been at it for, uh, if you can believe it, over a year uh, in that endeavor, and God has been blessing. And we have a, um, uh, we're holding services there in Greenpoint on the East River waterfront, and God is just blessing every week. And our group is small, uh, our meeting place is humble to say the least, but God is doing something there, and it's exciting to kind of see a church in the in its early days and. Uh, uh, Believe in what you can't see there. You don't see a big church, but you know one day God's going to grow one here. God is growing one here and using us. And we thank God for all the people that have been a part of that, especially in the last few months. Now, people have been praying and praying and praying about the building situation there, and they've been praying for over a year about that. Keep praying. People have been praying for our family. Keep praying. People have been praying for Greenpoint. Keep praying. There's a lot to pray about, but also... Many people have been writing NBBC on the special line on the offering and just throwing in a little here a little there as they can That makes a big difference. Thank you. We're not asking the church to do that specifically But because people here did that About half our rent got paid last month that way and our rent there is not cheap So thank you very very much that enables us to be able to move forward with ministry And we've we've had to sweat it out to the last few days and Pastor has been patient And uh, he hasn't stepped in or anything. He's tried to let God give us some miracles of our own. You know what I mean? But it's been a challenge, uh, kind of being house poor in terms of uh, paying a lot of rent for a place to meet there. But God has met our needs every month, and he's used many of you to do that. And I really want to say thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord, and it's not in vain. And just last night, uh, uh, we had a couple there. They're doing premarital counseling with us, and... I you know, I just had to say, Thank you, Lord, you know, that we don't have to do this in our apartment or Dunkin' Donuts or you know, something like that. We have a place here on our own that we can bring people into, a safe place, and praise the Lord. And God is working in that couple's life and you're a part of that. So thank you very much. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. Mark chapter 4. And we're not going to read there just yet. Just mark your place there in Mark chapter 4. And we will read in just a few minutes the first nine verses of Mark chapter 4. I have a question for you tonight. Have you ever met someone who hears everything that you're saying? but isn't listening to to a word of what you're saying? You know anybody like that? They hear everything that you say, but they don't really listen to a word of what you say. Now, if you have children, you know exactly what what I mean by this. Because you tell your child, clean the room, right? Does your mom tell you to clean the room? Tells you to clean the room. So then you go away. Time passes. You give them a few minutes. Then you come back, and the room isn't clean. And then you say... What is the question that you immediately asked? Didn't you hear what I said? Well, your kids, they heard you, but they weren't listening. <laughs> Maybe you have, a, uh, you have a husband. Then you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Mrs. Kelly is kind of familiar with this. You tell the husband, please fix the leg on that table. <laughs> and then weeks go by. And then you ask him, aren't you going to fix the leg on that table? And the husband asks, why? What's wrong with it? He heard, but he wasn't listening. <laughs> or maybe you have a coworker or someone else like that. You know, it's very frustrating when you're trying to communicate to someone something very important and the person hears what you're saying, but they're not listening to what you're saying. They're not paying attention or counting what you're saying to be important. The portion of scripture we're going to look at tonight tells us that God goes through this. Did you know that? God goes through this. God tells people things and people don't listen. They hear his word, but they're not listening to what he is saying. And many people like to hear what God has to say. Many people enjoy to hear God's words, specifically from the Bible. And those words communicated through a preacher and communicated as they read the word of God or as they listen to it aloud. And they love the the art of it. They love the, the poetry that's there and the compelling stories and the beauty in the words. But can I tell you that few are listening to what God has to say? They're not actually listening. The churches are full of people like that in this world. So in Mark chapter 4, we're going to read about a time when Jesus was teaching a lot of people. And a lot of people were were hearing what he said, but very few were listening. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude... So that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables and he said and said unto them in his doctrine hearken behold there went out a sower to sow and it came to pass as he sowed some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth and when the sun was up it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit and other fell on good ground and did yield fruits that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 some 60 and some an hundred and he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, as we bow our, our, our hearts, Lord, in the, kind of in the middle of this message, Lord, I pray that tonight you would truly give us ears to hear. I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly, that you would just calm my nerves and help me to, to, uh, to preach your word in a very understandable, very clear way. I pray it would be a blessing. I pray it would fall on good ground tonight. And, Lord, there be a great increase as we obey your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we find here in this passage that Jesus teaches the multitude in parables. William Barton said, of simple quote, Life is parables. I think I have to agree with him on that. Because without a parable... Now, a parable we understand as a metaphor, an illustration, a simile, saying this truth is like this truth. It's taking what you know to be true, a fact from the real world that's concrete and established, and applying it to a truth that maybe you're unsure about, or maybe applies to the spiritual world, the things of God. Parables make the truth believable. And, for example, if I were to say to you this statement, okay, consider this statement. On a journey, you will have starts and stops, twists and turns, until finally you reach your destination. Consider that statement for just a moment. On a journey, you will have starts and stops, twists and turns, until finally you reach your destination. Well, I think we would all agree that statement is perfectly accurate, is it not? Yes, Pastor Mike. When you go on a journey, there are starts and stops, a lot of stops around here. There are twists and turns. Until finally you reach your destination. Well, that, that's a truth that you would acknowledge is true, but it's not very useful to you, is it? That's not really any kind of life-changing thing. You're not going to walk out of here tonight and say, well, that statement just makes me think of, think of things in a whole new light. But if I change it and say this, life is like a journey. Life is like a journey. You will have starts and stops, twists and turns, until finally you reach your destination. Now, that statement has meaning. That statement has wisdom. That statement takes something you know is true and applies it to something where maybe you didn't necessarily think that truth was relevant. That just as a car journey or a walking journey has its ups and downs, so does your life. And with that truth applied through a parable, as Jesus did many, many times, and as life is full of, you find deeper wisdom and deeper meaning. So Jesus teaches this crowd with a parable. And can we say that it was a fine story, was it not? He teaches them a story about a farmer. (laughs) Now, farming is popular these days. I'm sure you've noticed that almost every park in the city where there's some green space, a certain amount of it is starting to get set aside for an urban farm, right? Uh, We live in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and they call that the garden spot of New York City. We have a lot of rooftop gardening going on, a lot of empty lots that have been donated for community farms and urban farms. And and even here in Astoria, you see a lot of garden uh, uh, gardens. We went to the uh, dentist uh, the other day. Maggie's laying back in the chair. We looked out the window. Beautiful garden out there in a place where you really wouldn't think a garden could be. People find very creative ways to use space to plant something. And so. Uh, and, of course, gardening has its frustrations, does it not? <laughs> I think everyone tries to grow something, right? Well, you know what? i got a window. I've got sunlight here. I think I'm going to try to grow something. And uh, maybe you see your neighbor grow something very successfully, and then you try, and maybe it isn't so successful. Uh, you have your ups and downs every year. Now, hey, it's been a good year for it this year. It's kind of all of our excuses have gone away. We've had rain. We've had mild temperatures. But uh, it's, it's always kind of frustrating. So this this story here that he teaches about the sower going into the field and he sows the seed and there's growth, and some, you know, he grows in certain places well and it doesn't in others, is a perfectly accurate story. And um, it basically teaches us this that when a worker sows in a field, he reaps a harvest on good ground and takes loss on bad ground. That the soil he plants in is what makes the difference. That when a farmer goes out and he plants seed or he sows seed, as the as the scriptures say here, he plants it on ground that grows seed well and ground that doesn't. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is teaching this story to a crowd. Now, crowds begat crowds, do they not? Crowds follow crowds. If you're unsure... On your way home, you will, and especially in Manhattan, but really all over the place, you'll see a crowd start to, you'll see one or two people start to walk out into the crosswalk against the light. And then what happens? The other people that are, you know, in their machine, they'll just start following them out. Not because the light is good, but because that's where the crowd is going, right? And then you let honk and they realize, oh, I was following the crowd. I wasn't looking at the light. I need someone to nod their head. Give me an amen. Give me a sign language. Amen. Something like that to let me know. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. Crowds, crowds begat crowds. And so there's a large crowd of people. Verse number one tells us he began to teach by the seaside. And we find out from chapter number three that the crowd was so large, there was no way for him to vocalize his speech to a crowd that was, had so surrounded him, even his mother and his brothers could not get to him. So they put him on a boat, pushed the boat out a little bit and said, OK, from right here, speak. And that was not that unusual for that to happen. Remember the society that they lived in? There was no writing per se. I mean, you had scribes that copied things out, but even what was copied out was incredibly hard to read. Uh, I'm told that even in this day, they would often have um, uh, not the Jews, but the, uh, the Romans would often have slaves read to them because read was such reading was a very hard thing to do. I'm going to bore you if I tell you any more about that, so I'll just move on. But... This is a, a crowd where if you wanted to learn something, it was through the year. You heard someone speak in public and he went onto a boat to speak. Now, if you've been on a, a sailboat, then you, uh, you, know, you know that it comes to a tip, uh, like most boats do, I guess. And then there's a part that extends out a little bit further. The anchor would be right behind there. And then there's a rail that goes around that, the nose of that ship. And that's called the bow pulpit. Where you, and you would stand out there. Um, And somebody would would watch or somebody would signal to somebody at land. And from the bow pulpit, someone would speak. And Jesus from this boat is speaking to the multitude. And they were eager to hear what he had to say. Very eager because, hey, something's happening in Galilee. There's a guy out here speaking and he's speaking some good words and he's speaking some truthful words. In fact, he gave us he's telling us a story about a farmer. Now, this would have touched all their hearts. They would have understand uh, agrarian culture. They would have understand what he was trying to communicate there in terms of uh, the the facts of the story. And the the facts of the story are perfectly accurate. He talks about the seed being sown in the wayside. Now, the wayside, you know, farm, we didn't have an intricate road system. So the wayside would be the path that cut through the farm that many people would use and the farmer would allow to be a path through his land and so that land would get hardened and hardened and hardened. Oftentimes, uh, it either would not be plowed at all or, or or even after it was plowed, it would just be hardened again by foot traffic, by cart traffic, by animal traffic. And the soil would become so hard that no seed can grow on that ground. And so he told him about that, the hard, the, the hard ground. He told him about the stony ground. That ground is shallow. It doesn't have, a, it's got rocks underneath of it. So something can grow, but it can't grow roots. And so... You may have some quick growth, but eventually uh, that's what it talks about there in uh, in verse number five. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. So he talks about the stony ground. Then he talks about the which was sown among thorns. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit. So that's the ground that is corrupted. It has weeds in it. Nothing can grow there. So you can imagine uh, the picture that he's painting for them, a sower. Now, I've, I've watched some guys that say that they're sowing by hand, and they kind of throw it. You know, There's kind of a science to it, but they kind of throw it at an angle. They're trying to get that to go in there just right. Um, in this day, I'm told that they would, uh, in this part of the world, that they would sow first and then plow. So really, when they were getting seed out there, it was just about flinging it getting it out there as much as you possibly could. And when you would throw it, you would throw it in good ground where it could grow, but it would also, some would fall in the wayside, some would fall among thorns, and some would, in in a weeded area that wasn't properly maintained, and some would fall on stony ground or shallow earth where something couldn't grow well. And then he ends this story in a very interesting way, verse 9. He said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So he goes out on the boat before a multitude, tells a parable about farming, and then says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And that's the end. I wonder what the crowd thought about that. The Bible doesn't give us any clear indication other than that there, must have, there was some sort of approval in the, uh, to what he said. So they hear this great speech and I can I can imagine one saying, well, that was a clever conclusion. What a great speech. That was excellent. Boy, i we got to hear somebody today. I'm full. Let's go home. I can imagine a simple one saying, well, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, I have ears. So I guess that means he wanted all of us to hear that and just kind of walked away. Now, is that what he meant in verse number nine? No, it's not. Verse number nine uh, is actually a bit of an invitation. Look what it says in verse 10. And when he was alone, the crowd is gone. They that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. They said, Jesus, there's got to be more to this than the clever story. You didn't just tell all these people this just to have something clever to say. What are you trying to tell us with this parable? There has to be a deeper meaning. The parable was a truth about their present world that they could all agree to but it was more than that. It was an invitation to faith, an invitation to learn a greater truth about God, the gospel and ourselves. Now, we could stop right here if we wanted to and say the end. I've told you a story about farming. Take it with you and may the Holy Spirit apply it to your heart. <laughs> and we could go and we would have heard the words of Jesus. Right. As they were read here tonight. And we could have walked away and said, well, that gives me something to think about what Jesus said. Or I agree with that. That sounds good. But remember, the story is more than that. It's an invitation to faith. It's an invitation to say there's a deeper meaning here. We could accept God's invitation tonight and say, God, why would you tell these people a story about farming? Is there something you're trying to communicate to me through that story? That's what all the people should have been saying. They all should have been saying Well, how does that apply to our lives? How can we use that in our life? Instead, they were just happy to say, great speech. Let's go home. But the disciples, they wanted more. They wanted to know what's the deeper meaning. So let's look at it together in verse 13. Do you want to do that tonight? I need anything? Yeah, Brother Mike, or maybe do you want to go home or check out? I'm not sure. Well, like it or not, here we go. Verse 13. (laughs) And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? In other words, you better understand this one because there's a lot more coming. He's going to teach a whole lot more using parables. And they need to understand this. They're on to the right thing here. Verse Verse number 14. The sower soweth the word. So now from 14 down to verse 20, he's going to go back through these points again and he's going to apply them. He's going to say these things that you know to be true are not only true in your in your physical life, in your work life, but they have spiritual truth as well that you need to apply to your life. These things that you see every day, they would have seen men sowing when it was time to do that. They would have seen men gathering the harvest. They would have seen people plowing the grounds, And they would have just walked by it and never thought anything about it, other than that's just somebody out there working. And Jesus tells them, those things that you know to be true are actually crying out to you a lesson from God that you need to understand. And now he's going to tell them what it is. And he says in verse 14, The sower soweth the word. God's word, God's revelation spoken by his prophets, written down by his prophets that we have here in the 66 books of the Bible is like a seed that is planted. And there's a lot that could be said about that. A seed is small. First of all, let me back up. It's the, the seed is planted by somebody, a sower. Now, how much description do we get about the sower in this story? The sower soweth the word. That's it. That's all the description of the sower you get. I think maybe there's a little lesson for us right there. Somebody that goes out and sows the seed, doesn't have a title, doesn't ha- doesn't even get named, and doesn't really even get any of the credit for how the seed grows. He just goes out there and he sows. He sows it. He spreads the seed everywhere. He... he as he's sowing, he understands not all this seed is going to fall on the right kind of ground. Not all this seed that I'm throwing out here is going to grow properly. I may throw some seed and it's going to go into the good ground. That's what I'm aiming for. But some of it may fall on the wayside ground. But, I'm going to, but he doesn't say, well, I might be wasting some seed, so I'm not, going throw, I'm not going to sow. No, he just sows it anyway. He sows that seed in the, in the stony ground. He's, he sows it among thorns. He just gets the seed out there because that's what is... The farmer, the master of 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 the land that he's working in has told him to do go out and sow the seed. And I think there's a message for us right there that as as those that would labor in the word of God, those that would want to share God's truth with others. We just got to sow. You know, I, I think here we have it almost easy. We do. Yes, Pastor Mike just said that. OK, I would go on visitation with people as we try. We went to, you know, over 100 churches and. And. Many times pastor would say, hey, you want to go visiting with me on Saturday? I'm telling you, we would have to knock on people's doors, interrupt their brunch, interrupt whatever they were doing and say, hi, can I talk to you about the Lord? We can go right out here on the street and pass out just as many flyers as as that door knocker does in a month. We can do in like 30 minutes in a way we have it easier here. We can sew. we can take the word of God, whether it be through a gospel tracker, a John and Roman or whoever's and just sew it out there. We can take 10 bucks and go down to the dollar store and buy 10 Bibles with 10 bucks, King James Bibles, and we can just pass them out freely. we can sow the word of God. The sower just needs to sow. And so and so he does. But that, the sower's not really the emphasis of the story. It's about where the seed lands. We're all comfort, confident we have the right seed, right? We have the word of God, Amen. That's the message that people need. But what it has with the story mainly has to do with is where that seed lands. And the different soils that are mentioned in the story represent the conditions of the heart of man. That sometimes as the word of God is received into someone's heart, sometimes it's received on good soil where it can grow. But sometimes it's not. And so that's what he talks about here. He talks about the wayside heart. Look at it in verse number 15. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately. And taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. These are they that are sown by the wayside. The wayside is hard ground. It's a hard heart. It's a place where the word of God cannot, not that it can't even, it can't even grow there at all. Not only can it not take root, but it cannot grow there, period. It's the wayside heart. There's my place. Okay. Someone who has a hard heart, a wayside heart, is someone that has completely bought the lies of Satan and will never sell, no matter how great the loss. Have you ever seen someone in a failing business? Not a fun place to be if you're that someone. But maybe you've seen someone in a a failing business, and it's time to let go, and they just can't. You know often why we can't let go of something like that? Because we are so heavily invested. We put so much into it, it's hard to take a loss. That's what the wayside heart is. It's someone that is so bought into the lies of Satan that when the truth of God is presented to them, they cannot receive it. They will not receive it. They are so heavily invested in a lie that they will refuse to believe the truth. You ever been like that? You ever known someone like that? That's the wayside heart. I can think of some people in, in this account. We're preaching through the book of Mark in, a, in a North Brooklyn Baptist Church And Jesus, up to this point, has been in confrontation after confrontation with the Pharisees and scribes. And they have heard Jesus' words and they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him raise a man who was lame. They've seen him heal a man who had a withered hand. They've seen some amazing things. And after they saw the man with the withered hand get healed... Now, these are smart men. These are intellectual men. These are men that had much of the scriptures at that time memorized. They were leaders in the community. They had everything it takes to learn they were educated that everything it takes to learn and yet when they saw the truth right in front of right in front of them in mark chapter number uh in mark chapter three or excuse me mark chapter two jesus heals a man and then the very next verse says they went to the herodians and sought how they could destroy him so when they had the truth right in front of them their hearts were so hard they had such wayside hearts that when the truth was right in front of them, they would not believe it. Sound like anyone else you know? How about the Pharisees and the the other, uh, excuse me, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians? They saw the miracles that Moses was performing by the hand of God. They saw the power of God right before them. They saw the Red Sea part. They should have fallen down to their knees and say, wow, what a God they serve. Instead, what did they do? They ran right in after them and they were destroyed. Some people say, why doesn't God just write it in the sky that he's here so we would all know and everyone would believe? That's a good question. How many of you left church the other night and saw something being wrote in the sky? A few services ago? Okay, nobody, nobody did? Really? Okay. There was actually some planes, about five of them outside flying, and they were writing something in the sky. Like with the, you know, the exhaust out of the back of the plane. I don't know how you sign that. But they're, they're doing the exhaust out of the back of the plane. And it was like some sort of number sequence. I went online. I tried to look that thing up. And you could see it from all over the city. We could see it from Brooklyn. I tried to look it up online, on Twitter, on Facebook. What is all this about? Never did find out what it was about. Somebody spent a whole lot of money to write something in the sky. And no one paid attention. I think maybe that's the answer. Why doesn't God write it in the sky? He has wrote it in the sky. He can't make it any clearer. Create, creation is crying out to us that there is a God. But we have so bought into the lies of evolution, into the lies of Darwin, into the lies of those who have gone before, before him, that when the truth is staring us right in the face, we will not believe it. Because we are so bought into a lie. And I, that's what Jesus says is the wayside heart. Someone who says, it's not, it's not that they don't want to... It's not that they... They don't know what the truth is. They refuse to believe it. It's the wayside heart. And then he talks about stony ground. Stony ground is the shallow heart. It's a place where something can grow, but it can't take root. That's what it says in uh, verse number 16. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. That's good. And have no root in themselves. And so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. The stony ground is a shallow heart. It's someone that enjoys Christianity, enjoys the culture of Christianity, enjoys the singing, enjoys the speaking, enjoys the people. But there's no root in their life. They've had no personal experience with God. I just noticed I wasn't smiling for like half the sermon. I'm going to say that with a smile on my face. It's someone who loves Christianity. Who enjoys the singing. Enjoys those hymns. Enjoys the building. Enjoys the people. Enjoys the pastor. But they've had no personal experience themselves. And so... Jesus says when persecution arises for the word's sake, when their Christianity begins to cost them something, they 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 they're scorched. They go away. I believe that's the word that he that's the word that's used there, isn't it? Um, they have no, no root in them. So they're uh They're a shallow heart. There's a story told about uh, missionaries in Africa in a very poor area. And they had just built a new building for the people there. And they had refinished the center aisle, wooden center aisle. And they waxed it up real good so it had that nice wooden shine to it. And then a man moved into town and started selling shoes. Well, the people there didn't sell, didn't wear shoes. uh, But the missionary and his wife went and they bought themselves a brand new pair of shoes. And they walked into church and the church was full of people. And so they're they're simple, uh, you know, simple lifestyle simple mind they heard the missionary walk down the aisle and his wife and they heard the squeak of those shoes and they liked that squeak they thought it made an interesting noise they kind of liked it and the, sh- the shoe salesman was quite surprised when the next week about five or six pairs of shoes were bought and he got excited he had never sold sold so many pairs of shoes in a week so he called up his supplier and he said you got to give me some more shoes Well, weeks went by he never sold another pair And he thought this was odd. So he went to the church where he knew the people met and he sat in the back and he watched what the people were doing. And so one of those people, they would come in wearing those brand new shoes and they would walk down the aisle and it would squeak, 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 squeak all the way down the aisle. And then they would take the shoes off and they would pass them down the row, out the window. Somebody would grab them and they would run them around to the front. And then the next person would walk in, squeak, 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 squeak down the aisle. And they liked that. They thought that was a good noise. And then they would pass them through again. You know what the problem was? The people weren't really interested in what the shoes could do. They just really liked the squeak. You know, a lot of Christians are that way. We're not really interested in what God wants to do for our life. We just like the squeak. We like the benefits of Christian culture. We like the benefits that a church brings. And hey, God, church brings benefits. Thank God. For whatever reason, you're here. Thank you. I'm not telling you to leave. Thank God you're here. But if all we enjoy is the squeak of Christianity and we don't understand what they what it actually provides for us, we don't actually have an experience with God. I hate to have to say it, but we're shallow. We are shallow people. And I'm afraid that many churches today are full of shallow Christians that are enjoying the squeak, but they're not really wearing the shoes. Shallow ground. And then a stony ground is the shallow heart. I think a shallow heart also um, doesn't mature through difficulty. That's that's where God allows us to grow. And that's what this verse here mentions, that when we go through times of tribulation. Now, I'm not wishing tribulation upon you. I don't like tribulation myself, but it's when we go through tribulation that we have the greatest opportunity to grow, to get close to the Lord. The disciples are going to find out at the end of this chapter because they're going to go out on the water and the storm's going to arise and and Jesus is going to be asleep in the ship. That whole story is coming. But when we don't allow tribulations to grow us, the first time we're offended for the word's sake, the first time difficulty comes into our life, we run. That's proof of a shallow heart and a stony ground heart. He says in verse 18, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches Sorry, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. So this is the that that which is sown among thorns. That's the corrupted heart. That's the heart that is full of weeds. That's the Christian that has one foot in and one foot out. The Christian that wants to wants to hear the word, but they don't want to push out that which is which wants to choke the word. See, if you have a garden, you have to protect it. You have to weed it. You have to keep birds away. Our, our neighbor, uh, we're on the second floor in a building, and so the neighbors below us have a backyard, and uh, we're always envious of that thing. We're watching them saying, well, if we had it, we would do it this way. You know, but uh, we probably wouldn't. But we're looking at their backyard. And one thing I like is, is they've taken some time to grow a garden, and they've, they've taken the precautions to do it right. They, uh, they really haven't planted in the ground. They've planted it in pots because... That, that area of ground, you really probably wouldn't want to plant anything. So they, they've planted in pots. They've, uh, they've, they're have they careful to weed it. And then they've even built in, built like a net over top so that animals can't get into it. You know what that tells me? That person is willing to protect what's growing there. They're willing to keep some things out so that what's there can grow right. When the word of God is sown among thorns, when we let truth live with error. Hey, I don't want to say that Anything can defeat the Bible. Do you understand what I mean by that? God's word is unstoppable. It's the firm foundation that we sang about in the songs tonight. But I'm telling you, if we let truth and error stay together, I think we think, oh, the truth will just overcome that error. Well, in our own hearts, what this scripture teaches us is that error will choke the truth. It'll choke it out. If you're unsure, just allow the weeds to grow in your garden. And you're going to see it doesn't matter how good of a plant you've planted there. If you let the wrong kind of plants in that are going to overtake, they are going to kill whatever good thing you're trying to grow. Pastor is very good at teaching us about what is error, what is truth, about helping us be discerning Christians. Uh, You know, it's it's hard thing for some people to say these days, but it has to be said. Not everything that is called Christian is Christian. That if you're looking for good, godly Christian music, I probably wouldn't recommend the Christian and gospel section on the iTunes music store. You know what I mean by that? Not all that's called Christian is Christian. Not everyone who claims to speak for God is speaking for God. That there needs to be some discernment in our Christian lives. There needs to be some weeding in our Christian lives. Where we say, "Well, wait a minute. This is, this is an error. This is going to, it may be small, but this is going to overtake. This is going to get me out of church. This is going to get things not right with my family. This is going to give me a rotten, bad attitude. Get out of here, weeds. I'm cutting you out of here. Whatever it may be in your life make sure that you take time to make sure the word that's coming in isn't being sown among thorns. Because it'll it'll choke it. It'll kill it. I say that this is the person who believes God's word is a good book, but it's not their guidebook. It's a good book, but it's not their guidebook. It's a place where they can hear a lot of truth, just like these multitudes heard. But they're really not interested in taking that truth and applying it to their life. Sown among thorns. You know, I think Christian leadership has been kind of responsible for for this condition, sown among thorns, because so much of Christian leadership, not at this church, praise God, but so much that is called Christian leadership is trying to tell people that they can be involved in almost every type of evil and still be a Christian. You know what I mean by that? I mean that there are church, you know, everything that is that, you know, to be a sin, I'm sure somewhere out there you can find a church that approves of it. Of, of one of those things or all of those things. You know what I'm saying by that? We even have Unitarian Universalist churches these days. Unitarian Universalist church. That, you might as well say Atheist church or Agnostic church. People that believe there is no truth trying to claim that they're preaching. I'm not even sure how you define that. It's like undefinable. But that's what we have today. You can go anywhere. If there is a sin that you want to get involved in, I promise you, you can go, you can go find a church that will tell you it's okay. It's possible. It can be. But is it true? No. And that little bit of error that you let in or that some other group says is okay for you to let in, eventually you can choose. You can make the decision, but you can't choose the consequences. And the consequences be, it'll choke out every area of truth in your life, and one day you'll be a used-to-be Christian that doesn't believe in anything. Don't let the weeds in your life. Keep them out. Weed your garden. I like how it says what the the thorns are, or what the the results of those things are. Verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, watch this, and the lusts of other things entering in. Does that like cover it all or what? I mean, (laughs) cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, uh, and the lust of other things. Just going after anything else but what God's truth is. So I would ask you tonight to let God bring his plow into your life and turn up the soil. Because, you see, what can happen is we can sometimes I used to always think at this passage and think, yeah, there's some people like that. There's some people that are they have the shall They're shallow. And some people, they have the thorns. And there's some people that are good ground. And that's that's talked about in verse verse number six. Or Excuse me. In uh, verse number 20. They that fell on the good ground, and I'm, I'm going to get to that here in just a second, but I used to think, yeah, there's just some people, that's just the way they are. But having looked at this passage further, I don't think that's true. I think all of these conditions represent where all of us can be in our Christian life, that we can have times in our life where we're letting thorns in, where we can have times in our life where we're good grounds, where God's Word is growing in our hearts. We can have times in our life where we just say, Preacher, I don't want to hear it. Where we're, 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 we're a wayside heart. Where, you know what, I just, not today. Today is just not a good day for me. And, uh, or we're we're a shallow heart and we have those times in our life. In other words, these aren't predisposed ways of living. We can all enter in and out of these these sort of conditions in our lives. We can all uh, go through these periods in our life. But what God wants us to be is good ground. Look at it in verse 20. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. And bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some an 100. God wants us to be good soil, good ground. That's a person who hears the word of God and believes it and receives it into their life. And that, my friends, is called faith. You know, scientists have been studying seeds for quite a long time. And we've come a long way in what we can do with seeds. We can genetically modify seeds. We can create new seeds, hybrid seeds, seeds that grow uh, bigger and better and more nutritious fruit. But you know what we can't create? A seed. (laughs) You have to start with a seed before you can do any of those things. And I'm telling you, before you can even begin to live out the word of God in your life, you need a seed. You need faith. Faith to believe that God's word is true. It's something he puts in your heart. And it's something that he wants to grow. You must have faith. You need to not only hear God's word, but you need to listen. That means not just hearing what is said, but applying it to your life. Letting it change you. So the, the, the story before, as, as I'm concluding here, the story before was, or, or the truth of the story, excuse me, was that seed planted grows in good ground and it eventually dies anywhere else, right? Right? But what the disciples found out was that that was just a parable to express a greater meaning. And the greater meaning is this. God's word is like a seed. God's word is like a seed that is planted. It changes the lives of those who receive it. And it is the ruin of those that eventually reject it. What kind of soil are you tonight? What kind of heart do you have right now? I I know we're all here. (laughs) I know we're all here. But are we listening? you're, You're all caught up in your Bible reading. Good. I know you read it. But were you listening? Were you applying it to your life? Were you letting God's word grow? Are you are you growing more in your Christian life now than you were this time last year? Is there growth happening in your life? I know you've even heard the sermon tonight, but are you listening? Urban farming is more popular than ever, especially in New York City. New York City is really kind of leading the way in urban farming. And you see people growing things in the most unusual places. Uh, You stand up on the roof of our church in Greenpoint, and you can see these little gardens all over these roofs. And you walk through the streets, and you see these strange plots of land, and somebody's managed to stick a garden in there. You know what that teaches us? It teaches us that with a lot of work and the right soil, you can plant something just about anywhere. You really can. It is amazing what you can grow and where you can grow it. But you know it's the same way with God. With His word and faith in your heart, it it can it can grow just about anywhere. I think we're saying, Well, you know, I would obey that thing that God has told me to do, but I can't because of this. Or I can't because this situation in my life isn't right, or I can't because you know this thing isn't worked out. Hey, a farmer doesn't make excuses, he sows. He plants that seed. Let God make you the ground that you need to be. Uh, don't, don't build a big list of excuses for why the teachings of the Bible don't work in your situation. God can grow something just about anywhere. He just needs good ground. Let's be good ground for God's word. Read it every day. Hide it in your heart. Pray and ask God to help you to understand and to live it, in his, live it out in your life. Thank God you want to hear the word of God. But are you listening tonight? Are you listening? Let's bow for a word of prayer. The piano is going to begin to play. This is our time of invitation. We've got beautiful brand new altars up here. I think maybe it would be appropriate to use them if God has spoken to your heart tonight.